During the Vietnam crisis, there was a uh, particular group of soldiers that had been pinned down by enemy fire. And Brent Walker, the radio man, radioed for help. The Huey came and dropped down a rope ladder. And while they kept firing at the enemy to keep the uh, soldiers under cover, one by one they began to climb up that rope ladder. Finally, the last one to make it up was Brent Walker. And as he is climbing up the ladder, the medic up above is watching and sees that he drops his radio. Well, that's something that you never do. Number two, he dropped his rifle. And number three, he began to drop himself. And so Brent Walker, as he fell backwards, fortunately his foot got caught in one of the rungs of the rope ladder. Well, the medic who saw that scampered down and grabbed a hold of the man's leg while he held onto the ladder. And while the bullets were flying, the helicopter began to rise and uh, kept on going up just to get away from the bullets, but not so far as to cause the two men who were dangling like a flying trapeze uh, to die. Finally, the helicopter uh, got to the hospital. They, they dropped them down, and the specialists who helped Brent Walker got back into the helicopter, and off they went. And when Brent Walker woke up, he was surprised to discover he wasn't in heaven. He was shocked to discover he was in the hospital. And he said, what happened? Well, they said, we don't know, but uh, all we can tell you is that there was a helicopter coming and there was just this lion dangling underneath the helicopter. And we then realized there were two men, one upside down and one right side up, hanging on to the other one. And you happened to be the one upside down. And so who was the other guy? We don't know. And that's the way it is in wartime. I was a medic, uh, and I could well empathize with the reality that many times you meet somebody for a few days and you disappear and you never see each other again, at least not during the wartime. Well, Brent Walker got back home and got married, started a career, and did quite well in, in life. And he, for the 30 years that uh, he lived after that experience, always wondered who that guy was. And he wished that somehow he could meet him. A television program got a hold of the story and checked it out to verify whether or not it was true and they discovered it was true. So they invited Brent Walker onto the, to the platform and uh, they asked him some questions and relayed uh, their information that they had. And then they, they uh, asked him, since the experience is true, have you ever wished you could meet that guy? He said, a thousand times. He says, almost every day I think about him. I think that if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have the good wife that I've had. I wouldn't have the wonderful children that I've had. I wouldn't have the good, great career that I've had. 
Yes, I'd love to meet him. Well, the host of the television program turned around and said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on stage for Givens. And so Givens came from behind the curtain. Well, Brent Walker was so shocked and so excited, he forgot where he was. He jumped out of the seat and almost knocked the medic over. And they both embraced in this emotional hug, and both were just weeping, uh, rejoicing that after 30 years, they were able to at last meet together. And the audience just erupted into a, uh, an applause, and there was not one eye that was dry in that audience. And then from behind the curtain came out two high official uh, and uh, presented Spec 5 Givens after 30 years, an award for his valor demonstrated in risking his own life to save the life of that soldier. Let's pray together as we consider God's word this morning. Our Father, as we consider the topic, I pray your spirit move in our hearts and give us a greater sense of gratitude for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. Our opening text this morning is found in Romans. I think all of you are acquainted with this one. I am what? Debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and what else? The unwise. Obviously, Paul was moved by the experience he encountered when he was confronted by Jesus. And the great great rescue that Jesus had made for him created in Paul a great sense of gratitude, so much so that every time you read something about Paul trying to express himself concerning what God has done, he always uses those superlatives, you know, exceeding above, etc. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't seem to find sufficient words to express it, so he's always adding and adding and adding beyond what we can ask or think. He uses terms that uh, are trying to convey to us that this is beyond our ability to comprehend. This is far beyond uh, any mental uh, capacity to grasp. Paul then says he is a debtor, and what leads him to become a debtor is, as I said, a, a conscious understanding, a profound understanding of what was done for him. And let me say this to you this morning. Depending upon how much you understand what was done for you will determine how profound your appreciation and gratitude will be toward your Savior. It's all in proportion. What do you say? I'll explain it to you this way. My wife and I were in Puerto Rico holding an evangelistic meeting in 1978. My wife is a concert violinist. And uh, her violin was made by a student, Stradivarius, back in 1746. 
we were there in Puerto Rico and we went from one from the one church to go to another church on the way they decided to stop us off and get us something to drink in in a home so we went in there and left our instruments in the in the car took what it was that we needed to drink etc got back in the car and went to the next church uh, I proceeded to the back room to get together with the pastor to organize uh, what we were going to be doing while my wife went out to the uh, in the sanctuary and opened up a violin case to you know get ready to play well while I was back there uh, one of the church members came and said pastor quickly come your wife is crying well my wife is very very private and uh, she rarely, rarely cries in public. So for her to be crying meant there was something desperately wrong. So I went out there, and there she was, weeping. She's had that violence since she was nine years old. And so she was weeping because when she opened the case, the humidity and the heat in just that short time had actually melted the glue, and the tension on the strings actually pulled the violin apart. Well, there was a lady there who, surveying the situation, felt very, very sorry for my wife. So she came and put her hand on my wife's shoulder and said, It's okay, Missy Torres. We'll take care of your violin. We'll go and get some Elmer's glue and glue it back together for you. (laughs) Now, let me ask you a question. How much did that woman understand what was there. Hmm? And so, Paul must have, have had a profound understanding. Peter, likewise. Because these men, when they speak about what was done for them, uh, they use terms that, as I already expressed, uh, make it obvious that they're trying to grasp for something like I am here this morning to express to you uh, the reality that all of us are debtors. Now, we're encouraged to avoid leprosy, pardon me, debt like a leprosy, correct? Is that true? But this is a debt that we can't avoid, nor are we ever encouraged to avoid. Peter puts it this way, when he speaks about the great sacrifice done for him, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 18, if you have it there, let me get back to it, notice what it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with what? With corruptible things as what? Silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now, notice that, that uh, Peter says you were not redeemed. The word redeemed means bought back. Uh, it would not purchase back. And it uses the, this idea uh, that we have today in pawn shops. And that was P-A-W-N. And I spelled it because I was in Australia and I asked if they had a pawn shop. And the pastor was shocked that I was looking for a porn shop. P-O-R-N. <laughs> anyway. Uh, in a pawn shop, by the way, they call them cash converters over there. And so, in a, in a cash converter... Uh, what you do is you, uh, most people, they turn over some uh, material that they want to get money for. And uh, then if they want it back, they have to redeem it, which means they have to buy it back. So Peter says you were not redeemed or bought back with corruptible things of silver and gold. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that in the Scriptures, 
Uh, God speaks about gold. And he says, I will make a man more precious than what? The golden wedge of Ophir. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and verse 18 and verse 21, you will discover that God there mentions transparent gold. What kind of gold? Transparent, transparent gold. And transparent gold actually now exists. I guess you knew that, right? How many of you knew that? How many of you did not know it? Can I see your hand? Ooh, well, let me just give you a little background, not taking too much of my time. Uh, for centuries, people scoffed and, and mocked and ridiculed this high, whole idea of streets of gold that were transparent, you see. Who ever heard of gold you can see through? Well, the reality is that scientists did discover how to make transparent gold, and you see it all the time. You just don't realize it. All the jet planes that you fly in, all of you, um, most of you flew in here, correct? Well, in the front, in the cockpit, the, the, uh, the, the glass that's in front there actually is made of two plate glasses, inch and a half thick, that uh, in between both is sandwiched a film of transparent gold. And uh, it is used to keep the, the windshield flexible because the plane, as it flies up high, it becomes, uh, it's cold up there and glass can become frigid brittle. And if a bird actually hits that, it would shatter the, the glass, and of course the plane would uh, be in, in danger. So, in fact, here's how they test it. They actually put those, uh, the plate glasses uh, in a mount, and then take a, a bird the size of a turkey, and shoot it out of a cannon against that plate glass. If it if it handles the impact, they mount it. It takes 120 bolts to mount that in, and uh, I have all that information because it happens to be that a Seventh-day Adventist technician near uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, happens to be one of those guys that installs those uh, glasses in the airlines. But first, they get them tested. So now you know the rest of the story. Now, the interesting thing is that those panes of glass actually cost between twenty dollars to $30,000. Okay, now you know why you're paying so much to fly. It's not just the fuel. And so twenty-five dollars to $30,000 for one of those pieces of glass. All right? But think about it. How much is God putting into the city? Hmm? And then the next question is, who's going to walk on those streets of gold? Who? I hear the redeem. Well, that's a nice term, but what about you? <laughs> God is investing so much, but listen, the Bible is revealing something wonderful here, that what was offered for us was not silver or gold, but what was offered for us was something that was far beyond, exceeding above in value to the silver and gold. What do you say? Amen. And what was it? Next verse says, it was the precious, what? Blood of Christ. The apostles then are grappling with the realities of what was done for them. And I wish that somehow our brains were 
capable of just inserting a chip with eight gigabytes or whatever, if you understand what I'm saying, and be able to, to immediately not only just have the knowledge, but the experience, the emotions, etc., of what this all means. So you and I have to grow in that, and I'm thankful that there are enough gigabytes to grow beyond that. But listen, today it says then that we will redeem with the precious blood of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Let me uh, share with you some things that have really moved me as, as I have studied this subject. And I w- was up this morning at 2 o'clock uh, baking the bread so that you have fresh bre- baked bread this morning. Okay? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, the Scripture begins to, to elaborate on that. Uh, Paul writes, who being in the form of God thought it not, what? Robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Then he writes, the first man, Adam, is of the earth, earthy. The second man, Christ, is the Lord from where? From heaven. He continues to elaborate on this thought, and he says, and without what? Controversy, great is the mystery of what? Of godliness. Then it says, God, notice what it says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, notice that Paul says, God was manifest in the flesh. Then it says, being found in fashion of a man. This God who was manifest in the flesh, being found in fashion of a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, it says, for God so loved that He gave, correct? So, here's the question that I need to pose. If I lend you something, is it yours? And then, if I give you something, is it yours? Yes. Notice then the, the, what God says. God did not lend His Son. God gave, gave His Son. Is there a difference? Yes. What's the difference? Is there a great difference? Okay. God gave His Son. And so, He did not lend, He gave. What does that mean? In the book, Christ's Object Lessons, there's a passage there, and it says, Christ took our nature and dwelt among us. Divinity was revealed in humanity the invisible glory in the visible human. So, here you have this combination of divine and human together. Now, frankly, I have to confess to you that I do not understand how it is that divinity can somehow transform itself and become human. 
I can't grasp that. I don't know if you can. How does divinity that we don't understand somehow can transform itself into what we do understand, what we feel? I don't understand it. I don't comprehend it. And uh, what's amazing is this, that he became human, and then it says, when he ascended, he bore with him a holy, sanctified humanity. So, he wasn't loaned to us. He didn't just come down and do his thing, went back into heaven as a, as a, a borrowed thing. He actually became part of us, and according to what we see, he retains this humanity for how long? Forever. Now, that's mind-boggling. What do you say? How did it happen? How could it be? I don't understand it, but thank God I believe it. I believed it happened. And trying to grapple with this is like a frog looking at a caterpillar, and then that caterpillar gets transformed into a butterfly. Can the frog understand that? What's the answer? Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm comparing you to frogs, right? But isn't that the reality, folks? Yes or no? The reality is that the human mind is not capable of comprehending because we're not divine. We don't understand all the complexity that it took for Christ to limit himself to human flesh. We just don't understand that. But it must be something incredible for for that to have happened. Now, here's the question then. It was one thing for Christ to fashion himself as a man. That would have been sufficient to sacrifice. For you to be able to be everywhere and do everything and have no limitations, and then all of a sudden for you to limit yourself, that's a great sacrifice. What do you say? Is that true? If all that he did was to do that, it would have been sufficient. But listen, he came down, and the question is, what was at risk? And the next question is this, what if Christ had failed? Well, let's look at this for a moment. You know that according to the Scriptures, it says that the wages of sin is what? Death. And we know that it took how many sins to bring in sin into the world? One. One. How many cancer cells do you need to have cancer? One. And that one multiplies and we're in trouble, correct? So, it took one sin to bring about the condition that we experience today. Now, It is because of sin, then, that Christ became a man. 
But beyond becoming a man then, he was risking something. And the question that I, I should ask you is this. How many times can you sin, be forgiven, and still make it to the kingdom? How many times? Hmm? I hear somebody is quoting 7 times 70. Right? Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have already got, come close to that limit? <laughs> You're laughing because you concur with me that you have already far expired all the, what the Lord has said, 490 times. I dare say that most of us can't even remember how many times we've done something wrong. Is that true? Yeah. From the time that we uh, come into life, even if we don't know, we do things wrong. Later on, we discover we were wrong. And then when we discover the difference between right and wrong, we still do wrong. And it's only by the grace of God that you and I receives not only forgiveness, but power to overcome that which we do wrong. And we can say, praise God for that. What do you say? But listen, there's no amount of times then that one can sin, be forgiven, and still make it to heaven. But let me ask you the question concerning your Savior. How many times could Christ sin, be forgiven, and still be saved? How many? Zero. Now, as I've said before, it's one thing for him to have become a man. Okay? Now it's another thing for him to live as a man for 30 years and the devil dogging his every step to try to accomplish in one way or another, either through harassment, through ridicule, through feeling lonely, Whatever tactics were used, were used constantly. And it intensified as Christ actually became the Messiah. And I'm saying that because he was anointed, the anointed Messiah was supposed to start, according to the prophecy, when the time prophecy clock struck. So, his, his every step was dogged by the enemy. And if he could just accomplish getting Christ to falter once, not all a thousand times that you and I have sinned and praise God we've been forgiven, but once. What a test, what do you say? Sometimes you and I have been in circumstances where, where we we're struggling with something in our lives. And we wonder if we're going to be able to make it through. I'm sure many of you in medical school might have struggled with the, with the, with the, the temptation of quitting. Any of you? Any of you? Not a hand being raised. 
You mean none of you ever thought, the thought never came, man, this is tough? Well, good on you, as they say down under. Well, you just don't want to raise your hand. Because <laughs> I know as a pastor, there have been times, I think those of you who are pastors, there have been times when we have felt, I can, I don't need all this stuff. I can get a different job and not have to deal with all this challenge. Politics of the church, the politics of the brethren, uh, inconsistencies of people, all the harassment that comes, misunderstandings, sometimes you feel you're alone. I know that one time I was passing up in New Mexico, and I was getting to feel overwhelmed. And I began to think, maybe God didn't call me after all. Maybe this is just, you know, some whimsical thing that I thought of. And I remember my wife was in California. I was going to go pick her up. And I went down to Albuquerque and stayed with some friends. And when I was asleep, before I went to sleep, I, I prayed. And I said, God, did you really call me to this? Did you really, is this just something that I imagined, you know? Lord, can I get off of it? You understand what I'm saying? And so, about midnight, I heard my name being called. Saul sat up. Yes? There was nobody around. Pitch dark. I thought, oh, maybe I've been dreaming. So I went back to sleep. Heard my name call again. Wonderful, soft voice. Louis. I sat up, looked around. Couldn't see anybody. And all of a sudden, a warm feeling came over me. It's the Lord. It's okay. I am where I should be. You understand what I'm saying? But if that was me with the small, trivial stuff that we go through, struggle with those ideas, what about Christ? What must it have been for him? to never have rest. Sometimes we think well, the devil is after us, and sometimes we think he's on vacation. You understand? You hear what I'm saying? Things are going well, no problems, everything's okay. But to be constantly, 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 constantly. And then to realize that not once, how often? Not once, not one time could he lay down his hair, let down his hair. But listen to what the servant of the Lord says concerning this. One stain upon his human life, one failure of his humanity to endure the terrible test, and the Lamb of God would have been an imperfect offering. And the redemption of man, a what? A failure. It's one. Look at this statement. Remember that Christ risked how much? All. All. Tempted like as we are, he staked his own eternal 
existence upon the issue of a conflict. Think about it, folks. He well understood when he left heaven that he was putting all of heaven at risk. He was putting his own eternal existence at risk. For who? And it says, heaven itself is in peril for our redemption. At the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner, Jesus would have yielded up his life, we may estimate the value of a soul. Satan, if he could have in the least particular have tempted Christ to sin, he would have bruised the Savior's head. As it was, he could only touch his heel. And it says, had the head of Christ been touched, the hope of the human race would have, what? Perished. Divine wrath would have come upon Christ as it came upon Adam. Christ and the church would have been without what? Without hope. So, friends, listen. The reason why you have experienced all that you've experienced in your life, the reason why you're able to go to medical school and become a physician, etc., the reason why you've done all that you've been able to do, the reason why you've been able to be blessed by all the blessings you've received is simply because there was somebody who was willing to come down that ladder and risk his eternal existence. What do you say? Amen. He dangled there holding on to you because he could not let you go. He could not be happy in the kingdom without doing everything that he could to rescue you and to rescue me. We're talking about something deep, what do you say? Yes. Something very deep, profound, and yet marvelous, wonderful. You will understand while the angels sing, marvelous, wonderful, Because it is a wonderment that all these things were done. And the beauty of it is says, while we were yet what? Sinners. Sinners. Christ came to die for us. And so Paul could well state, I am a what? A debtor. When I woke up, seeing the commentary, it was a documentary about Brent Walker. I was traveling down to, with my wife, we're going to have an evangelistic meeting down in Key West, Florida. We stopped someplace up in Jacksonville. I turned on the TV that night just to find out what the uh, news was and get an idea of the weather. And as I was flicking through, I came across this whole uh, story about Brent Walker. 
he was actually being interviewed. And because they were talking about Vietnam, it caught my attention because I'm a vet and a medic. And as I seen and heard the thing unfold, I was also uh, crying, even though I was not on the television program. To think that that guy had forgotten all about himself and scampered down and held on to that soldier at the expense of his own life. Bullets were flying. He could have been hit as well. But the only thing that concerned him was the salvation of that man. And that's the way you train as a medic. When you're a medic, you focus on saving those guys. You don't get to think about yourself. It becomes kind of automatic. You hear somebody saying, medic, doc, doc, and all of a sudden, you're running. You're not thinking about anything else but doing everything you can to get there. And so, as I uh, saw that thing, boy, I, I was moved. So I went to sleep, and in the morning when I woke up, I was still thinking about that. And then all of a sudden it hit me. This guy was longing to meet his rescuer for 30 years. And every day he thought about the blessings that he was experiencing and all because of this particular fellow who he did not know, but he, whom he longed to know. And then it hit me. Do I long to see my Savior as that man longed to see his rescuer? And I have to confess to you that even as a preacher, I was condemned. I did not have the same longing. And it's possible, friends, for us to become so everlastingly busy in our activities that we forget the most important thing, our salvation. What do you say? Is that true, yes or no? It's possible to get caught up with problems and difficulties and forget that what God is all concerned about is not necessarily your challenges, but whether or not He can have you forever. Because all of us are going to suffer one way or another. Is that true? In fact, we're told that if sufferings come, that we ought to rejoice. But I think the greatest challenge is not the suffering. Because sufferings have a way of keeping us humble. The greatest challenge is prosperity. Is that true? Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't make the money you guys make, but I can tell you there was a time when I did, when I made more money than you guys made.
In fact, my wife back in 1970, 1968, in New York City was making $200 an hour. I don't know what that would equate to today. So there was a time when I didn't care about anything. I used to take $20 bills and roll them up and put them in the candle to light my cigarette. You understand what I'm saying? So prosperity does not do it for us. It's when we have to have challenges that it keeps us humble. So the greater danger is our success. What are you saying? Is that true? The same is true for us as pastors. Is that true, Lonnie? Dwight? Success could be the greatest curse to us. Because ultimately, what God is interested is not how successful you are, but how savable you are. That's what God's concerned about. And here, it reveals to us that God gave His most not the least, but his most, to save us. I was in Romania holding an evangelistic meeting, and a well-dressed man walked up to me and said, after, after everybody leaves, I'll need to talk with you. He was a well-dressed man. We sat down, and he said, look, uh, if I do what you say, it'll, it'll cause some problems for me. I said, like what? He said, well, I live with a woman. And uh, if I were to obey these things, I would have to separate from her, and I couldn't bear the thought. So I said, well, let's get something clear. First of all, if you do what I say, if you do what God says, which one? He said, well, I guess if I do what God says. I said, point number two, let me ask you a question. What's more important to you, your salvation or your woman? He thought about that. And he had a tear start trickling down his cheek. And I could tell he was struggling. And finally said, my salvation. I said, then God can help you. Talk to that woman. He said, I'm afraid to. I said, well, I'll be glad to talk to her for you. He said, would you? I said, yes. So we sat on the point of one o'clock. Well, that morning I couldn't get there because I had some other visits. And uh, in short, I visited the family. The wife was an Adventist, the husband was not. And she had planned it to capture him without him knowing by my appearing at the house. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Didn't tell him I was coming, but he wanted me to come so I could corner him and talk to him about salvation. But when I got there, he was gone. She was so embarrassed. She said, I'm sorry, he didn't tell me he had a job. It was Sunday. So I uh, said, okay, well, we need to leave. No, you can't leave. I prepared all this food. You got to eat it. And Romanians are like that. So you've been to Romania, you know what I'm saying, right, Brother Mac? And so we sat down to eat. And while we're eating, the door opens up, and a man walks in and says, now I know why I should have come back. 
Well, that made me a little nervous. You understand? I didn't know what he meant by that. Then he sat down, and I sat next to him, and I said, oh, I'm Pastor Torres. And I know who you are, he said. Your wife, my wife told me all about you. But he said, I was traveling down in my car about 10 kilometers away, and a voice said, go back home. Turn around, and there was nobody in the car. I kept on driving. I thought, I heard something. The radio was off. So, as I kept on going, the voice said, more emphatic, turn around and go home. So I said, I didn't know what was wrong. I thought something definitely wrong in my house. Then he said, now I know why I should have come back. When he said that, I knew. If an angel speaks to you, you're a soul for the kingdom. What do you say? So I spent time with him and brought him to the Lord, and by that time I was late for the other appointment. So I was embarrassed, didn't know what to say, and uh, decided that in the evening I would apologize to him. And that evening he came in, he and his wife, pardon me, he and his woman, and they were both smiling. So I said, well, what happened? She, he, she, he said, well, when I saw that you didn't show up at 1 o'clock, he said, I felt troubled. When 10 after 1 came and you weren't around, I was really concerned. And when quarter after came and you weren't around, I knew I was going to have to face it myself. So I sat her down, I started crying. She wondered, what in the world's going on? I told her. I've decided to follow the Lord, and, and I can't live this way anymore. Salvation is more important to me than anything else. And if you decide to leave, you can. It'll break my heart, but you can. She started crying. She said, for a long time I felt that we shouldn't be li living this way. And I've always had the desire to tell you that I couldn't continue this way. But I was afraid that if I would, you would leave me. So here both were concerned about the same thing. Well, praise the Lord, they came, decided to get married, get baptized. Long story short, he was a helicopter pilot, very famous in Romania. And uh, he was training somebody three months later. The rookie shut down the fuel, helicopter went down, and both died. But friends, listen, the important thing is this. That man considered his salvation far more important than that which is the closest thing to his heart on this earth. What do you say? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you a debtor? Hmm? But how much? How much? As I've said earlier, depending on your understanding of what has been done for you will determine the gratitude that you'll have in your heart for your Savior. Will you say amen to that? Amen. And I wonder what will happen in the kingdom. In the kingdom, There'll be people who will stampede, I believe, sanctified stampede, to run to do what? To embrace the Savior. And with tears flowing down, they would not have been able to contain themselves, but grab a hold of the Master and just say, Thank you, Jesus. 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 What do you say? So how grateful are you? Let me put it to you this way. How many of you 
have felt that that which we've been talking about today has been kind of fleeing away from you. And this morning, you'd like to say, Lord, I admit that the value of my life and the price that you've paid has kind of becoming eclipsed by other things. And I want to ask forgiveness this morning and ask that you will help me to understand more profoundly that which you have done for me so that I then may be able to focus on what's most important in my life. Anyone would like to stand to that this morning? Say, Lord, just help me to be more in tune with what you are doing. Let's pray together. Our Father, our hearts are strangely warmed this morning as we consider in a deeper sense our worth to you. But more importantly, what heaven has invested to save us. Oh God, granted that this Sabbath day will be a day where we could be thinking and rejoicing over the great redemption that has been wrought out for us through your precious Son. In his name we pray. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.